Hello, funny people. Thanks for joining me here today on Four Cents a Podcast. We're going to have some fun because I've got something to moan about. Stay tuned. Welcome once again to the Saturday Show here on Four Cents a Podcast. We're yet again winding down here season one. We're in the final four, the final four weekends now. Um, Again, I just wanted to remind you that the last show of the season will air uh, Saturday, uh, September the 9th. So in, in four more weeks, four weeks from today... We will be concluding this season, but in the meantime, I hope you'll continue joining me here on Four Cents a Podcast for more fun, for more Reader's Corner, for more of the weird humor here on the Saturday show. In the meantime, stay tuned, because I got a good show for you this week. So, enjoy. Just enjoy. Listen and enjoy to the weirdness that is the show here on Four Cents a Podcast. And now it's time for In Other News, the part of the show where I briefly piss and moan about something in the news from this past week. And yet again, it's been one hell of a fun week. Okay, so earlier this week, we had two... Let's let's get the celebrity stuff out of the way. Earlier this week, um, there was a wonderful little mini tribute that was going on on Twitter uh, for the memory of the wonderful Bernie Mac. The, one of the funniest comedians who died, sadly, at the age of 50, only about 12 years ago. And uh, he is fondly remembered. Sadly, I don't think he's quite nearly as remembered as other great African-American comedians, but Bernie was one of the best. He was hilarious. I mean, he is the person who taught the world what the word motherfucker really is. Motherfucker is a noun that refers to a person, place, or thing, as he said. And therefore, you can use it frequently in conversation, and you hear it a lot, especially when a whole bunch of dudes from the street are talking about somebody. And the conversation always makes sense. You're never lost. So, you, you know, you hear a conversation that goes something like this. This is a Bernie Mac joke, by the way. <clears throat> you seen that motherfucker, Bobby? That motherfucker owed me five motherfucking dollars. I ain't heard from this motherfucker in two weeks. He said that he was going to give me my motherfucking money. I called his motherfucking house. He didn't pick up. I called his motherfucking mama's house. His mama picked up. I almost lost it with that motherfucker, but I don't want no trouble. And I tell you what, if I see that motherfucker anytime this week and he still ain't got my motherfucking money, I'm going to bust that motherfucker's head. See? Makes perfect sense. I miss Bernie so much. You know, I, I frequently see, you know, those memes on the internet, on social media, saying if you could bring one of these artists back for one final show, who would it be? Or bring three of them back for one final show. One of the people I always see on there is Bernie, and he's always one of my choices. In related news, um, it was recently announced that uh, there was going to be a new documentary released 
about the last days of Robin Williams. And it's a documentary going to be called Robin's Wish. I think it's going to be released in... Really, uh, released uh, probably streaming-wise, because of course nobody's still going to movie theaters right now, but it's going to basically cover the last several days of Robin's life. You know, this is a man who died six years ago who was still fondly remembered, and it's going to go into exactly what caused him to commit suicide. Initially, um, the doctors had diagnosed him with uh, Parkinson's disease, But later on, after the medical examiner actually looked at Robin's brain pretty closely, it turned out that he was suffering from something called Lewy body dementia, which has a lot of similar symptoms to Parkinson's and is often confused for Parkinson's. And they're going to go into depth as to why that might have caused him to eventually take his own life, sadly. Um... Anything to see Robin Williams on the screen is better than nothing. And sadly, even though this is coming six years after he died, and sadly because I don't think he was able to get the proper medical attention because of the misdiagnosis, who knows what could have happened to actually have saved him. Because I'm sure, you know, not being in full control of his faculties and having all those late disappointments that he had, including that wonderful, it was so funny, this wonderful TV show that he was on, I think it was on ABC called The Crazy Ones. I think you can stream it still on Netflix. I watched the whole season. It was him and Sarah Michelle Gellar and that one dude from The New Adventures of Old Christine. (laughs) It was a great show with a great cast. So funny. Uh, Took place in Chicago in the Chicago ad industry. Robin was great in it. You know, he was an older individual, so he wasn't as fast as he had been. But it was still funny, and the shitty thing is it only lasted one season. Had that show been going on, I'm sure eventually this would have been diagnosed properly. But it wasn't. And we still miss him to this day. I mean, Robin Williams is one of those people that people just love. Even though he's a fucking celebrity, but he's not a fucking celebrity. He's Robin fucking Williams. He's his own thing. Miss that man so much. He's another one of those people, if I could bring him back, I would for one final show, because I I never got to see Robin Williams do stand-up, you know, him, Carlin, Pryor, Bernie, those people who I never got to see live in concert, I'm sure that show would have been fucking hilarious, because Robin was the tops. Um, in addition, we had, we celebrated the sixth anniversary of, speaking of memorials, the death of Michael Brown. Now, Michael Brown, for those of you who might remember, was the young man, the young African-American man who was shot by Darren Wilson in the um, North County of, of Ferguson, North County Municipality of Ferguson, just outside of St. Louis. And he, his death was the... I won't say that it was the impetus for the creation of Black Lives Matter. It was really the straw that broke the camel's back. His, his passing and the acquittal of Darren Wilson that subsequently came that November of the death of Michael Brown and um, you know without Michael Brown's you know as a, as a legacy to him the fact that the last six years the perception of Black Lives Matter and that movement the fact that it shifted so miraculously is a testament to him, it's a memorial to him. The fact that now Corey Bush, 
one of the major organizers of the movement is now going to at least run in the November election as a representative of the city of St. Louis here in the state of Missouri is because of his passing, you know, so there, there's been a lot of good that has sadly come out of this miscarriage of justice. And it's a wonder to see that so much has happened as a result of this. Um, it's sad that he's gone. It's sad that he was taken too soon. It's sad that um, the Justice Department here in St. Louis uh, still continues to work like the Mafia that it basically is, where it protects its own. Um, but a lot of good has arisen out of it, because, I mean, initially there was so much hate towards Black Lives Matter after after Michael Brown's death. And even I thought that some of the things that people who were supporting the movement were did in order to garnish um, attention was stupid. Interrupting Bernie Sanders during his 2016 campaign, that was stupid, in my opinion. Um, going on to the Mizzou campus shortly after the, Orla- the Orlando shootings during the memorial there, and interrupting that memorial and, you know, basically uh, criticizing the crowd for not coming out and supporting them. That was stupid. All you're doing is alienating people who would naturally be allies to you. Um, But what they stand for, the thing that they're trying to do, which was an extension, the new generation of trying to get rid of institutional racism, to dispense with that, to force this country to, to you know, to, to, to continue to push that line that all men are created equal and to force this country to live up to its ideals by criticizing it and by actively engaging in the public sphere. That's all positive. Um, and the fact that, you know, this has happened over a period of six years, I think really the big push now, of course, has come out of George Floyd's death, but had it not been for Michael Brown and his unfortunate passing, I don't think we would be here today, so even though he was taken too young, we've still, it's a testament to his memory that so much has happened in the little over half a decade since then, thank God. Now then, now we get into the bad news. (laughs) (laughs) oh god i really 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 wish um i really wish i didn't have to talk about him anymore but i have no choice because he's there he's fucking there okay so job of the grapefruit um aka trumpy this past weekend uh signed four executive orders as most of you will remember the cares act all the stimulus all the the measures to try and take care of the American people that came out of the CARES Act. All those expired um, about a week ago at the end of July. They all expired. And so because our genius elected officials in Congress could not stop, you know, all that prick waving that's going up there to see who's got the best, (laughs) you know, who's, who's, who, who, to see who's got the biggest dick and so forth, they, they just won't, you know, Obviously, we all know that Nancy Pelosi has a bigger dick than Mitch McConnell, but let's not get into that. (laughs) A bigger political dick, let's put it that way. Um, Because they couldn't come to a consensus, which they have to over the second round of stimulus, Trump signed these four executive orders 
one that defers the payroll tax obligations of any employers, another that puts that that is now putting $400 of weekly unemployment into office. It's a third less than what people were getting, but it's still something, and it's better than the 200 that the Republicans were proposing in their version of the second stimulus bill. Third was um, to further re- extend relief to renters and homeowners, you know, against you know eviction and so forth. And the fourth apparently was to institute some student loan relief, which all good things. Of course, now we still need to get the details as to how all these things are going to work. And of course, we don't know how long they're going to last. We don't have the details of how they're going to function, um, how these systems are going to put into place. Apparently, there was some bit of news that said all the states in order to fund this unemployment are supposed to kick in about 25% of it which would just be $100, but it's $100 per thousands of people. And a lot of the states are saying they don't have it. Of course they don't have it. Most of the states I've been to, you know, I'm in the southern half of the Midwest, right near the south. Most of these states don't have a pot to piss in, let alone money to fund unemployment. Um, But now it's supposed to be a a, a joint federal-state commission. I don't know how that's going to work. They need to hammer out these details, and the idiots in Congress need to finally come to an agreement. They need to fucking work together. The two versions of the bill, they need to find middle ground. They can't They can't do, and it can't be the Democrats, in my opinion, who, who come forward. It's got to be the fucking Republicans. They were able to get the first version of the stimulus bill out there when people needed it, you know, two weeks after the, the, the pandemic hit and, you know, lockdowns started happening. They need to do it now because it's still a problem. They need to stop arguing with each other. They need to stop measuring each other's pricks in this whole mess. And they just need to move the hell forward. We can't deal with this shit right now. We can't have partisan fighting in the middle of a national emergency. God fucking damn it. And between you and me, this is just you and me talking, dear listener, am I the only one who, in the back of my, the, the little paranoid corner that we all have in the back of our heads, am I the only one who has that little corner of our brains listening, you know, whispering to me, you know, Trump did this on purpose, he told McConnell and all those fuckwits in the Senate to keep forestalling the the passage of the bill to not come to the table? Did he try to do that in order to gain political advantage by making him look like the hero by signing these executive orders? I wouldn't put it past the motherfucker. I wouldn't pass any put it past any politician to pull shit like that, especially at a time like this when he knows that his one major advantage, which was the booming economy that had been recovering for the previous fucking decade that, of course, he could take credit for, now that it's in the shitter... He trying to do this to make him look good. Of course they fucking do that. I wouldn't put it past him for a second that he did shit like that. And in related Trumpy-based news, he recently said to the evangelicals, this was a weird fucking story that I couldn't believe it happened, but I believe it happened, but I can't believe it happened. Um, he recently said that Christianity will have power. This was his signal to the evangelicals in this country. Christianity will have power. There's a fucking thing called separation of church and state. We have it in this country for a reason, because for centuries, 
When a religion gets into power, it begins oppressing everybody who doesn't belong. We see it now in the Middle East. The reason why all that shit is going on, not just in Israel, but the entire tinderbox that is the Middle East, which is a huge swatch of this chunk of what's right near South, you know, pretty close to, to Asia, right near Russia, and most of Northern Africa. The reason why those countries are in such turmoil is because of religious hatred and bigotry. You don't need to put Christianity in the driver's seat. It already kind of is. I mean, as Lewis Black has pointed out time and time again, we live in a Christian country, and how does he know that? Because he is a Jew. <laughs> it's like, we, we know that. I'm a Catholic. I'm not considered a Christian in the eyes of Protestants, which is how I see them, because they're Protestants. <laughs> You know, if you know the difference between Baptist, Methodist, uh, Lutheran, um, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, if you know the difference between those and you care about those differences, you're clearly not a Catholic. If you're a Catholic, they're all Protestants, and who gives a shit? Because uh, <laughs> I sure as hell don't at this point. I don't get the differences. I don't understand why those differences exist. I wish I did. I wish I could. I had an interest in church history to figure out, you know, is it because they broke the bread a different way? Is it because, you know, some people like stained glass and other people are like, let's be able to see out these windows. I don't know. I don't give a shit. You know, we live in a, we live in a country that is ideally secular. We have a secular government for a reason. And yet we know we don't have a secular government because all the conservative people in this country always say, you know, we, we got to go by our morals we got to support christianity we got to be anti-abortion because that's what jesus would want <sighs> jesus christ superstar you know cry me a river uh -oh. it already has enough power as it is in the conservative party that's who's really pulling the strings the descendants of jerry falwell and those fuckwits oh god damn it but you can see i don't give a shit about christianity by my language <laughs> Oh, and on a similar note, Trumpy, after he signed that one executive order that deferred payroll tax obligations to the... By the way, deferred does not mean eliminate. It just means pushing back the deadline so that way you have to pay it at another time. Um, in addition to deferring that, he also said that if he gets reelected, <laughs> So he did do this in order for a political advantage, I'm just saying. Uh... He said that if he got elected, he was going to eliminate all payroll tax uh, obligations from all businesses. Now, that includes, for those of you who don't know, Social Security and Medicare. Now, to me, that's a sure sign that he's just trying to alienate all the conservative old people who are getting Social Security and Medicare. And I sure as hell am not going to vote for him because I'm paying into that system presently. Uh... Because I want to make sure I have that old person insurance that FDR guaranteed us in order to make sure that another Great Depression wouldn't happen. Um, in order to make sure that a whole bunch of citizens wouldn't be screwed because the banks failed um, if another depression should happen. Well, we're in something that's pretty much like another depression right now. And to say that is just... I don't know, like the fifth degree of asininity, I suppose. Oh, Lord. 
let's move off of a different subject. Let's talk about another great uh, country like Russia. Vladimir Putin recently announced this past week that it had registered the first COVID-19 vaccine amid scientific skepticism. Now, I don't know about you, but could this be a situation like in the original Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder? Could it be like that situation where it's announced that somebody's gotten the golden ticket just so that way everybody else will stop looking for it? I don't know. Maybe. Putin swears that his daughter has been vaccinated with it, but do we even know if this thing is going to fucking work or not? I don't know. Um, According to some scientists... What they've actually done is they've taken the medication that people use to combat Ebola, which is this, the napalm of antivirals, and diluted it down enough so that way it will combat COVID. I don't know if that's true, uh, but apparently it's one possibility. How long it will be effective, we don't know. Um, Is it a permanent solution? Probably not. Is it a mildly temporary solution maybe you know one of those kinds of situations where you have it and you have to get a booster every few years or could it be like you know smallpox or polio where it completely eliminates the 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 condition and you're fine we don't know but it's a start whether or not russia will actually share it with the world is another difference because it's you know we're, we're talking about putin here We're talking about a country that has been accused of cyber hacking all these other nations, along with China, to try and steal medical information on the COVID vaccine. Oh, Lord. In other pandemic-related news, the Wall Street Journal this past week announced that the pandemic is hitting millennials the hardest financially because of the second recession. And of course, I'm like, when I read that headline, I'm like, no fucking shit, Captain Obvious. My generation, the millennial generation, has gone through so much trauma in the last 20 years. It is a miracle if any of us can, um, you know, can function mentally. I mean, we are going to need eons of therapy to be able to get through this because it is... Um, it is ridiculous how much shit we've had to go through. I mean, you start with 9-11, go through the entire presidency of George Bush, which effectively crippled public education because of No Child Left Behind, and, you know, probably closeted a whole bunch of young people because of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Then you get into Obama, and you get this near decade of shitty economy, but a, you know, reasonable amount of hope, and then conclude it with Trump. Not to mention all the other viruses that have gone through us, you know, Ebola, bird flu, uh, mad cow disease, swine flu, everything that we've lived through, you know, the anthrax scares. You know, we've just, we, we've just gone through hell. Granted, it's probably not as bad as going through a world fucking war or an actual decade-long depression, but it's still bad. You know, and of course we're, we're financially crippled. I mean, the amount of student loans, some of my... Um, some of my contemporaries have had to take on in order to just get a decent education so they can hope to get a job that will enable them to pay back all that money that they've uh, that they've um, taken out is ridiculous I mean it's going to be a miracle if any of us die without any debt in our names 
I mean, any of us. It's just going to be a fucking miracle if any of us are able to pay that back. We'll probably still be in our 90s and paying all this money off. Some of us. I'll leave you with this. So just this week, Joe Biden finally broke the silence and announced who he was going to select as running mate, his vice president. And he selected, and I hope I'm pronouncing her first name right, Kamala Harris. Not Kamala, Kamala. Kamala Harris as his VP. So it's going to be Biden-Harris 2020. Now, there was a lot of speculation that immediately erupted when Kamala was selected, was announced as his running mate, as Biden's running mate, because, of course, the first thing that came to my mind is, is this going to be the Democratic equivalent of McCain and Palin? Well, I don't think... Kamala has nearly the same amount of heat with the rest of the world, with the rest of the country, that someone as goofy as Sarah Palin has. But, at the same time, I did a little research on her, because she, of course, ran for the presidency up until December of last year. And she stopped her campaign right at the beginning of December because she didn't have the funding to keep it going. So, I did a little research on her. And for the most part, she has a pretty good progressive track record. Except when it comes to two things. Crime and dr- and guns. She doesn't have the greatest gun control record in the world, which for a lot of Dems is a big no-no. And when she was Attorney General... No, not Attorney General. Um, public Attorney or something, you know, District Attorney, that's it. That's the term I was looking for, for the state of California... She was very tough on crime, which meant that for a lot of African Americans, she's probably, uh, who are obviously targeted more than white people are by police officers, she was public enemy number one in the state of California. Now, since then, she's served several terms in the Senate and has become a very dominant progressive voice. Now, a lot of people think that uh, by announcing Kamala as his running mate, Joe Biden has basically sunk his own ship. He's hit the iceberg, and the USS Joe Biden is going down. Because Kamala is two things that a lot of moderate conservative swingers, independents, um, don't like. She is a person of color. I believe she's South Asian and African American, specifically. And she is a woman which is the big thing that sunk Hillary Clinton's boat, you know, four years ago, uh, in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, But Kamala doesn't have the same baggage with the public as Clinton had. Hillary had the whole debacle with Monica Lewinsky behind her, the fact that she stayed with Bill um, following those allegations, the fact that she, you know, just never got out of the public eye after that. Um, became a senator, became a presidential candidate, became secretary of state, became presidential candidate again, lost the presidency twice. Um, You know, all that. The fact that she just would not go away. Kamala doesn't have that. Uh, She's kind of dunked the public eye for the most part, except maybe in her native California. But still, you know, people are worried. Has, Has Biden basically sunk his own ship by having a person of color and a woman as a running mate? Well, to me, this is an olive branch to my generation. Because my generation, um, we're very progressive for the most part. They're still conservative millennials, and they are freaks, in my opinion. (laughs) 
but they exist. Um, but for people who were hoping for a super liberal ticket, this is their this is Joe Biden's olive branch to them because of course he has this image of being a fairly moderate centrist Democrat. Kamala, on the other hand, has a reasonable progressive track record, and I think it will endear him to the younger voters. It will endear him to certain voters of color. It will get them to go out and vote, or go out and vote, or at least mail in their votes. It will do that for them. For others, it may. But my reaction to this, of course, is what are you fuckwits worried about with Kamala? What are you worried about? She is going to be vice president. The only time a vice president becomes even remotely important in history is when they have to succeed a president who has died in office. Now, Joe Biden is no spring chicken, so he needs a young running mate. And to pick a woman is a good choice, in my opinion, because women have more common sense than men, on average. Um, But other than that, she is just, she, you know, to paraphrase John Adams, the vice presidency is the single most unimportant office, the single most innately unimportant office that humanity has yet devised. She is not going to play any important role in policy. She is a bona fide guard dog. Um, a, a person who is going to basically be sent to funerals and state occasions and damn near nothing else. She is not going to have say in anything, politically speaking, unless Biden chooses to include her. Because the vice presidency, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, the reason why Teddy Roosevelt was put into the vice presidency under McKinley was because the people in New York State, where he had been a dominant force for a long time, wanted him to get the hell out of there. And vice presidency, the vice presidency was the place where political careers went to die for years. It didn't used to be a stepping stone directly to the presidency. It was just this dead-end political office. Um, that's where Kamala is going to be. So what are you worried about? Might I suggest this, conservatives and people who are swaying because you don't think, um, because you don't, because you're, you're worried that she's going to ascend to the presidency because Biden's so old that ver- invariably he's going to die, something bad's going to happen, he's going to croak in office. Might I suggest, if you're so worried that Kamala is going to become the second person of color to hold office and the first woman to hold the office of presidency, might I suggest that you simply pray for Joe Biden's health. Isn't that what you guys do? That's your favorite thing to do. Pray for them. Pray for them. So pray for Joe Biden. Because I swear to God and three other white men that he is going to be the president. Because as we have had four years of Trumpy, and that's more than enough. That's four years too damn many, in my opinion. There you go. That's it for me for any other news. I've got a good show lined up for the rest of you, so please stay tuned for the rest of Four Cents a Podcast. We shall return to the show and more of Mr. Kassmeyer's interesting wit after this brief interstitial. Please stand by. You know, people say you should never speak ill of the dead. 
But why? Why? What are they going to do about it? And why would they care? They're fucking dead! Besides, it isn't speaking ill of the dead if you're telling the truth. If they did some wrong shit, especially if they did it to you, I say now's your chance to finally get even. Also, if everyone knew that the stiff was an asshole in life anyway, who's gonna argue with you? The worst case scenario, the worst possible thing that could happen as a result of this is that some still living family member tries to sue you for defamation of character. But how could they make that work? What court in this country is going to listen to someone try and argue that the person, a dead person I'd like to reiterate, who therefore no longer gives even half a fuck what people think of them, wasn't an asshole? You know what I say? Kick them while they're down. Besides, it's not like they're getting back up anytime soon anyway. Fuck them. I visited New York City once, and while I was there, I saw many interesting people. One type of interesting person that I saw frequently, particularly around the area of Times Square, New York's number one tourist trap, was the street hustler. These were the people who would take a tiny fold-up card table out in the middle of a busy sidewalk in New York. And it is New York, so the sidewalks and streets were equally hazardous and try to entice people into playing a round of Find the Queen, which is also known by the name Three Card Monty. For those of you who don't know what this game is, allow me to explain. Three Card Monty is where one of these scammers has three slightly bent standard debt cards, all of which are of three different suits. One of them is, of course, a queen or other face card, and the person who manipulates them has them lined up in a row. The objective is for you, the sucker in question, to find the queen, also known as the money card, which they show you before the game begins, and after a short shuffle of the cards from their original spots, you get to pick which one you think is the queen. Oh, and did I mention that you have to wage money in order to play? Well, you do. Now, if you're a good observer, you will never lose this game. But, and here's the real interesting part, what some, but not all, of these wannabe casino owners will try to do is they will attempt to take the queen out as they shuffle, using a bit of good old-fashioned sleight of hand. Hence the reason why the cards are also slightly bent. It makes them much easier to manipulate. However, the story I'm going to tell you did not take place in New York City. It actually took place here in St. Louis, my hometown. And like most of my strangest encounters with people, it took place on a city bus. I was riding what was then the number 48 Metro bus, which was the one that headed out to South County Mall. This was back when malls were still a thing. It was not a route that I was overly familiar with, although I'd taken it once or twice before in order to get to the mall and to come home uh, from the mall. Being an antisocial person of the highest order, I don't get out much because, well, people. Anyway, this particular day I was heading home to my house in South City. As we were passing through the Merrimack neighborhood, a neighborhood I was fairly familiar with, the bus stopped 
near a place called Winkleman's store. One of the individuals who got onto the bus at this stop was this casually dressed African American dude. I can still remember him fairly vividly. He had long locks, a rather long face with a big chin covered in what was a well-grown and well-groomed goatee, large, almost owl-like eyes, and he wore a black hoodie, large black tennis shoes, and slightly tattered faded blue jeans. One more bit of description, he also had to be pretty far over six feet tall, at least six foot six. Now normally when I'm riding the bus or when I rode the bus, I tend to try to sit by myself for reasons I've already explained. And even more importantly, I try to stay away from people who look as if they could kick the shit out of me on any given notice. But on this occasion, that was not going to happen. This giant of a man decided to come all the way to the back of the bus and sit not quite next to me, more like to the off to the left side of me. And as the bus started to move, the fun began. He took out of the pocket of his hoodie a deck of playing cards, and he started to try and get people to play around a three-card Monty with him. And, unbelievably, some of the people actually started to play. Okay, who wants to play? One person, this white dude who was trying to look gangster with his basketball jersey and his sideways baseball cap, took him up on the offer. Okay, man, what's the stakes? For every dollar you bet, I'll double it if you win. Fine, I'll bet five, said the white dude with confidence. The man in the black hoodie went through all the usual motions. He picked out three cards from the deck. Those three cards, of course, were the Ace of Spades, Two of Diamonds, and the Queen of Hearts. Okay, said the dude. Keep your eyes on the queen. You find the queen, you win. The man in the hoodie then started flipped the three cards over, placed them on top of the seat next to me, the one seat that was between us at the time, and he started flipping the cards around, and after about five shuffles, he stopped. Okay, man, where's the queen? The right card, said the, said the white dude. The man in the hoodie flipped the right card over, and it was the two of diamonds. Sorry, man, you lose. This was the whole situation for about the next five stops. The man in the hoodie kept taking bets, and the people who sat around me kept losing their dough. After two more stops, with most of the people having gotten off the bus disappointed and psychologically castrated, the man in the hoodie turned to me. Come on, man, you've just been watching this whole time. How about you play a round or two? Nah, I don't gamble, I said. Come on, man, just one round. You know the, how the game is played. Just find the queen and you win. Now, as I said before, this guy was at least six foot six, and I was not interested in making the nine o'clock news report that night, so I figured, since my stop was coming up soon anyway, I could bide my time and maybe play two rounds. Okay, fine, dude, I'll play. Cool, man, how much you gonna bet? Now, I don't like to brag, though this might be rather hard to believe, but I'm pretty well off, so I had a little money on me. I'll bet five bucks. Okay, cool. I handed him my Abraham Lincoln, and we began the game. Okay, now watch, man. Watch the queen. Just watch the queen. He held up the queen card and placed it between the two other cards, and like Forrest Gump with a ping-pong ball, I watched as he shuffled and shifted those cards around, never taking my eyes off the queen. After about ten shuffles and shifts of each card, he stopped. Okay, man, pick. 
Where's the queen? The left card. He flipped it. And sure enough, there it was. The queen of hearts in all her glory. Looks like you win, man. With a slight crack in his voice. Yep, looks like I do. How about one more game? My stop was coming up and I'd already pulled the cord after I won the first round. So I figured one more game and I was out. Okay, I'll let my bet ride. Fine, you know what to do. He flipped the queen up, showed me where it was, and I went back into my Forrest Gump mode. He shuffled the cards again, this time about 12 times, and he did it pretty fast. Finally, he stopped. Okay, pick. The right one. He flipped it up. There was the queen yet again. Cool, I said. The bus stopped at the stop I requested, which was right in front of the Crondelat Library, and I stood up to get off. Like any good loser, the man in the hoodie handed me my winnings, 20 bucks, and I walked off the bus. The doors closed behind me, and the bus headed on its way. Of course, I knew full well that the man in the hoodie could have easily started making me lose through some sleight of hand, so I lucked out when I left when I did. Still, I now had 20 bucks in my pocket, and so I walked the rest of the way home with a big old smile on my face. Hey, Bob. What? Looks like we got another problem. Oh, fan-fucking-tastic. What is it this time? Well, I just got this call from Billy down on the studio floor, and, um, they, um, they say they've got a bat in the studio. A bat in the studio? Yeah. Hang on a second. Let me get Billy on the line. Maybe he can tell you himself. Hi, Billy. Hi. Say, Billy, um, could you tell Bob here what's going on down there? No. Hi, Bob. Um, yeah, we've got a... There's a bat flying around the studio ceiling. Yes, and how the hell did a bat get into the studio? I don't know. Maybe somebody forgot to close a door before last week's show or something. Anyway, it's fluttering around here and freaking everybody out. Where is everybody else right now? They're hiding in the closets. And where are you? I'm hunting under the concession table. Well, Billy, you gotta do something about that bat. We've got a show to do. Just go and grab it. But what if it bites me? Just go and grab it. You've got medical insurance, for Christ's sake. No. Okay, hang on. Here, Betty. Here, Betty, Betty, Betty. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, my God, it's stuck in my hair. It's stuck in my hair. Oh, no. Now it's biting my scalp. It's biting my scalp. Well, Bob, what are we going to do? No, damn. Well, first and foremost, you got to call the ambulance, because I have a feeling Billy's going to need some stitches and a rabies shot. And what are we supposed to do in the meantime, with the show still running and all? (sighs) Run another commercial, my friend. It'll buy us some time. And hopefully Billy will forget that I asked him to actually go and catch the bat. Okay. Um, sorry folks. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, Billy, you okay? (laughs) 
got a blood coming down the side of my face. <laughs> Hang on a second, the ambulance is on its way. This episode of Four Cents a Podcast is brought to you today by the NALA, the National Association of Limerick Aficionados. At NALA, our members revel in the saucy, suggestive, body, and raunchy world of language. We compose, archive, and celebrate the glory that is the limerick. Join us online at nala.org and sign up for our free weekly newsletter, where you'll receive a new limerick every week, straight to your smartphone or computer. This week's limerick is a real kicker. One Dr. Martez from DeWitt said, Tomorrow I'm gonna quit. I tried to be nice when giving advice, but now I just don't give a shit. Visit nala.org for more linguistic fun today. One of my friend Val's frequent refrains is, there's just some people I don't fuck with. We all have that list. We also all have a list of other nouns we don't fuck with either. One noun my family doesn't fuck with is bats. For the super white people listening, the phrase fuck with doesn't mean mess with, as in, if you value your life, don't fuck with that snake. In this context, it means associate or hang out with, as in, why are you talking to me, motherfucker, I don't fuck with you. Spot the difference? Much like birds, bats, and my family just don't mix, and I have the stories to prove it. But first, some background. My siblings and I grew up in a house that's been around roughly since World War II, so it's now well over half a century old. Well, one of the things buildings that age frequently get is bats, simply due to the wear and tear of time. Now, in nature, bats are great. Why? Because one of the main staples of their diets is mosquitoes. And if you live in any part of the country where it's damp enough to get mosquitoes, like, say, the rainy Midwest, you love a healthy bat population. In that regard, we fuck with bats. You just don't want part of that healthy bat population in or around your house. In that regard, we don't fuck with them. Our first bat incident happened years ago when our family dog was still alive. For 14 years, we had a dog named Einstein. No, we didn't name him after the dog from Back to the Future. He looked nothing like that dog. He was shaggy, but he was a completely different breed. One of our neighbors, upon hearing what we'd named him, said to my mother, Oh, that's just disrespectful. It was an apt name for him, though, if you don't know anything about the real Einstein, because he was smart and never listened to a damn thing we told him. We trained him up to a point, and then he just became an ornery, obstreperous canine. Like any dog or other living animal, though, there were downsides to keeping him. The biggest, of course, was the minefield which is what we took to calling the backyard because that's where he took his daily dumps. 
As his owners, of course, I use that terminology because we had him before the concept of fur babies and pet parents existed, and no, I won't apologize for saying we had a pet, not a fur baby, because that's fucking stupid. We had to clean up after him. So what did we do with all the dog shit? Well, we threw it in a trash bin, so that we could freely go across our own lawn without fear. And a couple of times a month, we'd then pitch the trash bin into the yard waste. Simple as that. Well, one day, it was my brother's turn to pitch the shit. As he goes to pitch the can, he notices something that damn near scares the crap out of him. I immediately came over to see what it was, and sure enough, sitting atop of this considerable pile of dog shit, like a cat on a couch, was a little brown bat. My brother and I, of course, knew we couldn't pitch the dog shit with the bat in it, but we also knew the shit had to go. We knew we couldn't do anything with the bat barehanded. It was a bat, and if watching the movie Cujo had taught us anything, it's that bats can carry rabies. And we had no gloves that we thought would be padded enough to both protect our hands from the dog shit, there's a childhood trauma for you, or from the bat's teeth. So this little brown bat was mean as hell. Somehow, something had caused it to be injured, which is why it hadn't left of its own accord. So with the brilliance of Laurel and Hardy, we started to try to figure out ways to get the bat out of the shit. My brother's brilliant idea was to take a couple of sticks and chopstick it out of the can like it was a piece of sweet and sour chicken. Well, that didn't work because the bat wouldn't cooperate. Every time we tried to arcade claw the sticks around it, it would just wiggle or crawl out of the way. My genius self decided to try the same thing, but this time with the pooper scooper. Same thing happened, and the pooper scooper claws were just too bulky to move around inside the trash can, so we couldn't grab it that way. Finally, my father, who has about as much sympathy for animals as Ted Bundy had for human beings, came out to see what his two idiot sons were doing with the dog shit can. He looked in, saw the bat, and said, uh, Just leave it in there. It'll die soon enough. Sure enough, the next day, the poor little flying rat was dead. Not from whatever injury it had sustained, but from suffocating from the smell of the dog shit. But hey, PETA can't give a shit for that because we tried to help the little bastard, but it wouldn't let us. My father's animosity towards bats, to be fair to him, isn't unfounded, though. The little creature's damn near caused him to break his hip. Like I said, with an old house, you get bats. The last place we expected to get them, though, was right beneath our gutters. Along our driveway at one point, the gutters had ever so slightly broken away from the side of the house, leaving this barely noticeable but still present crevice. Well, evidently within the bat community, the second an opening like that appears on a large structure like a house, it's like putting a for sale sign in your front yard. A whole colony of bats decided to move in, or given they weren't paying the rent, in which case I'm sure my father would have been happy to keep them around, decided to start squatting there. Now, they weren't causing much trouble, save for one problem. Almost every day when my father, who always parked his car in the driveway, would go out to get into his car, he always trekked a path through a nice-sized pile of guano, a.k.a. batshit, and this drove him batshit, finally. 
So one weekend, my father decided to serve these bats their eviction notice and at the same time fill in that crack with foam rubber so no more bats would move in. Given that I'm his designated sidekick and such tomfoolery, he dragged me into the mix. He grabs our neighbor's extendable ladder and places it against the side of the house. Then he hands me a long metal rod one of the ones he normally used to help stake up his vegetable plants when the fruits got too big and started bending them. Take this rod and brush it through the crack and knock those suckers out of there. So I should point out by this time that he was at least three feet up the ladder with a can of foam rubber in his hand. His thought was that I would knock the bats out and he'd slam the short door shut behind them immediately by filling up the crack. Well, neither of us knew exactly how many bats were up there, otherwise he wouldn't have been up there at all. So I wedged the end of this rod up in the crack and I start swatting and swishing. At first I was just hitting air. Now I may sound like an asshole through this podcast, but I'm in fact a very gentle-hearted human being. I don't want to hurt these poor bats. Eventually though, my father, exasperated as he was, grabbed the rod out of my hand and just started swinging it like a machete. Sure enough, out the bats flew, and several of them flew right into his face. And off the ladder, he tumbled, thankfully only about three feet, but he landed on his side directly onto asphalt. I don't know if you've ever landed on solid ground before, but there's no give to it. It hurts like a son of a bitch, and it hurt him like a son of a bitch. Thankfully, he didn't get injured from it beyond, you know, just a normal bruise and some impact pain. As he fell though, he caught the last bat that came flying out right on the wing with the rod in his hand. The bat then proceeded to first land on one of the fiberglass window awnings that's on the side of the house, rolled down the awning, and finally after falling at least nine or ten feet, landed squarely on the asphalt. After helping my dad back to his feet and to try to keep the bat from feeling his fury, because I'm sure as hell he would have beaten the shit out of that poor thing, until it was just, you know, a big brown pulpy mess on the on the asphalt driveway, I chased it down the driveway, and the poor creature limped its way down to the sidewalk. I don't know what happened to it after that. I only hope that it didn't end up trying to cross the street and end up like a square of road pizza. We filled the crack finally, but my father's anger at the world's only true flying mammal festered. And finally, he was able to get his revenge. As our dog, Einstein, aged, he started having a lot of hip problems, a common thing among dogs. Besides the pain, the obvious pain that he was in, it made it difficult for him to get up and down the many flights of stairs we have in our house. But there was one set of stairs he could get up, though, even towards the end, and that was the basement steps, because they were wide enough for him to turn his body at the peculiar angle that he needed to turn it in order to limp his way up the steps. And since they led into the backyard, he could get out there to do his business from there. The arrangement was fine up until we had to go out of town one weekend. In addition to his hips, Einstein had grown increasingly ornery to the point where... Any person who was not part of the family that he knew, meaning the five of us, he'd snap at them. Well, we didn't want 
any of our old neighbors to look in on him for fear that they might get hurt or bitten or who knows what. So without any kind of person we could turn to, we chose to do the dumbest thing possible. We left the back basement door open so that way he could get in and out as he needed. We returned from the trip and immediately my mother and sister needed to use the bathroom. My mother took the upstairs one and my sister took the one downstairs. As my brother, father, and I began to bring in the first load of crap from the car, we heard this scream. It was my sister, so we ran downstairs to see what had happened, what had caused her to scream that loudly. Of course, we were worried that some crazy crackhead hobo or some thug on the run from the law had taken her hostage or that she had come across some dumb drunk motherfucker passed out on the basement floor. Because that door had been open for at least 48 hours, we didn't know what to expect. Instead, we found her downstairs staring into the toilet bowl. And guess what was in there? That's right, a fucking bat was doing butterfly strokes in the toilet bowl. Suddenly, it was the bat in the dog shit can situation all over again. My brother and I, geniuses that we are, started trying to think of ideas of how we could get the bat out of the toilet bowl. Should we get an oven mitt? Will that be thick enough to protect us from the bat biting us? Because it will bite us. Maybe we can get a shovel and scoop it out of the toilet bowl and hope that it doesn't try to crawl up the handle and order to try and bite us. As we're debating this, our father comes down to see what's happening. And with his face straighter than Buster Keaton's in any of his movies, my father looks down into the bowl, says the words, Oh, Pat. And he flushes the fucking toilet. That poor bat went down the drain like an oversized turd. So somewhere in the sewage system of St. Louis, Missouri, I'm convinced there's a bat quietly plotting its revenge against a six-foot-one old Honduran man. And now that I've said that, I'm convinced that the Asylum might well make a goddamn shitty movie out of that premise. I can see it now. Revenge of the Sewer Bat. It'll be the next Sharknado, I'm sure of it. funny people that's it from me here on four cents a podcast i really do hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me here again next time until then stay safe stay healthy and do try to remember to enjoy yourselves